stood at the window and her head was spinning. And in that moment, she was just trying to wrap her thoughts around what just happened here. And she looked out the window and she watched as two men who had just crawled out of that window in her home slipped off into the hills, into the darkness, hoping to go undetected that no one would know what had just happened. And she didn't really know what had just happened. And none of them could have had any idea how this story was going to play out. What is about to happen in their lives is, is the furthest thing from what they could ever imagine. And she stood there trying to just grasp the whole thing. It was strange to her. What was strange was not that these two unknown men were crawling out of the window of her home. Her home was a place where strange men showed up all the time. In fact, strange men were welcome there. In fact, it was her livelihood. See, she was a prostitute. But that's not why those two guys were there. See, they had come for a whole different reason than what you might expect of an establishment like that. They were looking for a place very strategically where they could hide, where people wouldn't necessarily look for them, and then where they could also talk to people and hear the gossip, get some information, figure out what was going on. So they had a very clear purpose in why they were there. What they didn't expect was the encounter that these two spies that Joshua had sent from Israel into Jericho to size up the land in the opposition. They never expected to to encounter Rahab the prostitute the way that they did. And Rahab didn't see this coming either. But the story that we'll look at in Joshua chapter 2 today is going to help us to see in such an unlikely way what it means to be people who live and know and experience the promises that God has for us. If you have your Bibles, turn with me today to Joshua chapter 2. And we're on our way through the book of Joshua, kind of taking a walk through the the pages of this Old Testament book. And as we do, in chapter 2, we we come up on such a unique story. As you turn to Joshua chapter 2, I want to highlight a couple of other verses about Rahab. Now, we are introduced to her in the Old Testament. But later in the New Testament, we read about her again. She's mentioned three times very distinctly when you read about her. One of those is in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. And uh, look at what we read there about Rahab. It says, by faith the prostitute Rahab. Isn't that nice? Every time we read about her, they give her that little title. Isn't that nice? So lovingly. By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Hebrews chapter 11 is a listing, one verse after another, of people who we look at as heroes of the faith. Why in the world is a pagan prostitute being considered a hero of faith? James chapter 2 actually gives us some insight into that question. James chapter 2 verse 25, here's another place where the New Testament mentions her by name. It says, in the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute. Like it's her last name. Did you notice that? On her driver's license, it says Rahab the prostitute. And uh, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? What's fascinating about this passage of Scripture is James is writing about faith. And just before he talks about Rahab, he talks about Abraham. Is Abraham important in the Bible? Little. (laughs) Like the whole thing starts with him. This knowledge of God, this faith movement that, that becomes the, the Christ that comes, it kind of begins with Abraham. So if I'm talking about Abraham, don't you think the next person I'd talk about would be like Moses? 
or David or Daniel or Elijah. I'm going to hit one of the rock stars of the Old Testament. James is writing. He says, you know, Abraham amazing, had amazing faith. Now let me tell you about this Rahab de prostitute. Why go there? Here's why. Look what he goes on to say, verse 26. Because as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. She is called a hero of faith because of what she did. What gets even stranger is if you go to Matthew chapter 1, when it lists Jesus' family tree, one of the individuals who is in Jesus' family tree, whose heritage, whose genetics is in that of who will become our Messiah, is Rahab. You know her last name. So how, how does this play out? That a pagan prostitute becomes a hero of the faith. I hope we'll do three things today. Let's do this. First, I want to look at her story. Let's just walk it through, talk about it a little bit so we get a little bit better understanding of who she was, this passage in Joshua chapter 2. Then, after we look at her story, I want to just, just kind of unpack for you three things that stood out to me about this story. Three things that I hope will help us to understand about Rahab's story. Then, at the end, we're going to take a few moments and pray together because there's some... There's some things that kind of emerge as we go through this story of Rahab, and then we're going to take time to pray about those things together. So let's tell a story. We're going to look at some principles from that, and then we're going to pray together. So let's jump in. Let's start Joshua chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Let's see this story of an unlikely hero. Verse 1, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. A couple of things just in that first verse. One is this, and I don't want to park here for long, but I hope you'll kind of get this. As we go through chapters 3 and 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, on through the rest of the book, there's this fascinating thing that we'll see. And please, I, I hope you'll, um, you'll track with us through this season. I'm so excited about these next few messages. Because as we walk with the Israelites, crossing the Jordan, through Jericho, the things that God leads them through. I really do believe in, in what, what I feel like God's doing in this time, that there's some things He really wants to work out in some of our lives. And so we see this. Now here's, here's what we read last week in Joshua chapter 1. Did God promise to give Joshua and the people of Israel the promised land? Did He promise that? He did, right? Yeah, yeah. He says, look, this land I'm going to give you. Everywhere you go, you will have it. And what's interesting, though, that did not mean that Joshua could go, cool, God, awesome. I'm going to sit here and wait. You send a couple of charter buses, and then we'll roll into the promised land. Is that how it worked out? No, what's interesting is God said, I'm going to give it to you. Now, Joshua, get your army together. Now, Joshua, go possess it. Joshua, if you're going to take this land, it's going to be work. It's going to be effort. Literally, it's going to be blood, sweat, and tears. Just because God promises us something does not mean we don't have to be active. It was literal warfare that they enter into. And we're going to see that thought, how we partner with God in claiming His promises as we go through this book. Now what's interesting is Joshua, and we miss this, we sit on our couches and we read this book and we fail to realize Joshua was a military strategist who was brilliant. He says, look, first place we've got to go is Jericho. If we can get to Jericho, then strategically, from a military standpoint, we can begin to, to separate things and dissect this land. It's, it's key for us to take Jericho first. And so he sends the spies to go there. And so these spies go there, and they land at the home of a prostitute named Jezebel. Not, not named Jezebel. Oh, it might fit. Um, I'm so glad I didn't slip and say one of your names. <laughs> um, Jezebel, if you're here, forgive me. Um, 
prostitute named Rahab. And why go there? See, in that time, one of the things that was interesting is that the word innkeeper and the word prostitute were often synonymous. Now, not every innkeeper was a prostitute, but oftentimes the homes of prostitutes would serve as inns. In fact, the the term is uh, often used interchangeably. And here's the idea, that if you needed a place to stay, if you were visiting in town and you you were maybe having some shady purposes, it wasn't uncommon that you would go, and much like a cheap hotel, I guess, you'd go and stay in the home of a prostitute. And so this was common in that time. It was something that would take place. And for the spies, it was a strategic place for them to go. Because if they went there, people would not be looking for them there. They could kind of have the opportunity to get into town and move out with hopefully being noticed um, and, and that they could, they could do fine there. It was also a great place where they could hear gossip. They could know what was going on in the town and in the community. And so this was a good place for them to go as spies. It wasn't unheard of in military circles for that to happen. Now, one of the things that I read that was interesting in one of the commentaries as I was, was studying this passage of Scripture, here's what one of the theologians wrote. He said, given the... The mission of the spies it is unlikely that they enjoyed Rahab's professional services that's an interesting way to say that isn't it and thanks for the nervous laughter but here's the thing unusual for them to go there so what happens next verse 2 take a look at this Joshua chapter 2 verse 2 the king of Jericho was told look some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land so the king of Israel sent this message to Rahab bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land now they may have been the people of God and God may have given them favor and strength but apparently they weren't that great of spies because they got busted right And the king of Jericho sends a text message to Rahab and says, you got a couple of spies in your house. Now, here's how the law worked at that time. You can go back and look at the ancient law. One of the things that it says, and it talks specifically about innkeepers and prostitutes. It says that if you you are, are one of those people and someone comes to your establishment who is a felon, if you know they're a criminal, you are required to contact the authorities. That was the way it played out. So the king says sends messengers to Rahab and says, Rahab, you've got spies in your place. That means she's required to turn them in. It's mandated that she let the king know that these spies are in her home. That being said, what does she do? Look at this with me in in verse uh, 4 of Joshua chapter 2. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. Now, she knew they were Israelite spies. So when she said to the king, I did not know where they had come from, was that the truth or a lie? It's a lie, right? So she lied to him. Verse 5, at dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. Now, we just read that she had hidden them. So she says, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. Is that the truth or is it a lie? It's a lie. I don't know which way they went. Is that the truth or is that a lie? She's good at it, isn't she? She's a good liar. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. It wasn't uncommon for people to to take stalks of flax and to put them up on the roofs and that way they could dry out and then once they were dried out they could repurpose them for all kinds of different things that they could make out of the flax. So it wasn't uncommon for the flax to be up there so she just took a couple of spies up there and slid it underneath the flax. 
And that's what they did. So look at, look at what goes on here. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Rahab lies at least three times there, doesn't she? And this raises the question that, that comes up so many times. And, and this is interesting. She lies three times, which very clearly, and we'll hit this in a minute, was an act of treason. The law said, turn in criminals. The king said, send me the spies. She said, I don't know what you're talking about. And she lied. And I can remember sitting in circles when I was in youth group and having a conversation that goes, is it ever okay to lie? And as a teenager who wanted to find loopholes for things, I said, sure, because people lied in the Bible, didn't they? It's okay to lie sometimes, because Rahab did, and she's a hero of the faith. And we look for those loopholes. Now look, let me just spell it out this way. When two spies show up at your door and you're hiding them from some pagan king because God told you to, then it's okay to lie, okay? Can we go that way? But too many times, we try to live our lives based on the exception and not the rule. And typically, God wants us to live by the truths and the principles um, in his word that are the rule. So, when is it right to lie? It's not. Don't look for the loophole. And parents, you can thank me later. (laughs) Joshua chapter 2, verse 8. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country, listen to these words, are melting in fear because of you. Now she begins to recount some stories when Moses led them. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. For you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sahon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. Listen to this. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Rahab is a pagan prostitute. She lives in a land that's filled with idolatry. They have false gods that they worship. And what she says is this. We heard about you. What we heard is that wherever Israel goes, their God cleans house. And so what she came to was not just a moment of fear. She came to a moment of faith. Did she see what she said there? She said, I believe that your God is the real God. He's the one God. He's the God of heaven and the God of earth. And this is such a strategic moment because now we see that when she committed treason, when she lied to the king, she wasn't just trying to save a couple of spies. This was truly an act of faith on her part because she believes that they serve the greater God. So watch what happens. Verse 12 of Joshua chapter 2. Now then, Rahab says, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. What's so key here is she bargains with these guys. And watch what happens in her spirit. When she realizes who the real God is, she has a desire for deliverance. She wants his salvation. She knows that her only hope is in the one true and real God. So what, what does this mean for us? 
we're in, a, we're in a series of messages that we're calling Promised Land. And we're talking about how can we, as God's people, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, how can we live in our lives in a way that's filled with God's promises? God's Word has all kinds of promises for us. John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus says that His desire, why He came, was so that we could have life, not mediocre life, but life to the full. He wants us to live lives filled with His promises. And here's, here's the premise of this whole series of messages as we go through Joshua, that the people of God are created to live in the promises of God. The people of God, that's you and me, are created to live in the promises of God. So how do we do that? Well, as we look at the life of Rahab, who just is an unlikely character, she's an unlikely role model or hero, as we look at her life, I think there's a few things that we can say and see that will help us to be people who live in God's promises. In fact, let's, let's just use the term to help us to be promised land people. And so I want to show you three things very quickly out of Rahab's story, and then, then we're going to pray about this just a little bit today. The first is this. Number one, that promised land people know that God uses unlikely people to do extraordinary things. Promised land people know that God uses unlikely people to do extraordinary things. You know, if I'd been in charge of this story, it would have been different. If I'd been in charge of this story instead of God, I probably would not have sent the spies to a place like the house of a prostitute. I probably would have sent them to City Hall. I would have sent them somewhere where they could interact with the mayor where they could interact with the king, where they could interact with someone of power or wealth or prestige, so that once they got there, they could have influence and they could have authority and that God could do something very unique through this. But God does something so unlikely. He does something that we don't even see coming. He sends them to the home of a pagan prostitute. And that doesn't make any sense to us. But somehow it makes sense to God because oftentimes when He chooses to do something extraordinary, He does it in the most unlikely of ways. Here's the truth. God gives unbelievable mercy to unlikely people. Isn't that true? That God gives unbelievable mercy to unlikely people. Do you know how I know it's true? I know it's true because I know some of you. <laughs> I know some of you. And I know your stories. And I know me. And only you know what only you know about you. And only I know what only I know about me. And if we were to talk to each other, we'd probably say, quite frankly, it's none of your business. Sometimes I'm overwhelmed. Sometimes I find it hard to believe that God could give His unbelievable mercy to an unlikely person like me. When we look at our stories, when we see where we're at, that God would choose to do that is quite truthfully unbelievable. And here's, here's what's so interesting about the things we'll look at today. I'm probably not telling you anything that you don't already know. It's probably familiar truths that we're looking at here. But sometimes, you know what I need to be reminded of the most is the things that are most familiar to me. And today, some of you need to hear that God gives unbelievable mercy to the most unlikely of people. Because you know that, but the last week beat you up pretty good. 
And there's been some things coming your way that you just, man, it's just knocking the props right out from under you. And you wonder and you question and you say, God, how can you? Or how, and God, why? And we ask these questions and here's the truth. We're quick to say, God, I, I know you're powerful, but I don't know if you're, if you're this kind of powerful. Because you know what you did in the past. Or you know what you face in the future. Or you know who you are. And you can be quick to say, I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not this enough. I'm not that enough. And we question those things. But this story of Rahab reminds us just how clearly how God is able to do extraordinary things through the most unlikely of people. Why? Because that's his MO. Look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. That's not a very encouraging verse, is it? <laughs> Paul said, look, All of you were pretty deficient. (laughs) What's he going on to say? But God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God chooses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And God chooses the lowly things of this world and despise things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Here's the truth. God is able to take the most unlikely person and do extraordinary things through their lives. And that's good news, isn't it? I mean, we celebrate that because that's our stories. And we look at that. And on the one hand, I want you to feel that because that's, that's for you. On the other hand, I want you to realize, don't, don't, don't be so pessimistic. Sometimes I'm quick to say what God cannot do in my life. I'm quick to say God's not going to be able to work this out or I don't see how this is going to be able to fit or how's this going to make sense. And at some point I have to be willing to say, God, I believe that you can do extraordinary things in unlikely ways and trust him with that. Because me, the great man of faith that I am, typically say no before I say yes. Does that make sense? My glass oftentimes, faith-wise, is, is half empty. And I have to remember, God, you can do what I may not expect you to do. When I was in, in Bible college, at Central Bible College, there was a ministry that we had that would, would um, take a team of people and go into a government-funded apartment complex area, and they would do children's ministry on the weekend. And it was a, this cool thing, and I was involved in it. And one of the faculty members came to me and said, look, for years we've wanted to start something at this apartment complex over here that's like the one that we're doing over here. We just need somebody to lead it. Would you be willing to lead it? And I said, I'm a, I'm a glutton for punishment. Sure, I'll do it. Fine. And I said to him, okay, so now what do I do? And he just kind of looked at me and went, well, just, just figure it out. Because we believed in ministry training, apparently. I mean, it was just like, go ahead, just do it. So I, I didn't know what to do. So when you don't know what to do, what's the best thing to do? You pray. So I went to the chapel at Central Bible College and, and I started to pray. And Lord, I, I don't know what you have in mind, but if this is from you, what would you want us to do? And I'm kind of sitting there praying and thinking and kind of processing all of this. And I just felt very clearly kind of this impression from the Lord, drive over there to that apartment complex. Well, the air conditioning was on at the chapel and it was a nice, comfortable seat. And I was like, Lord, I, I don't know anybody or anything over there. You can, just, I just, I, you can talk to me here. And, um, and I kind of got this sense from the Lord, drive over there. God, I don't want to drive over there. And God says, I don't care what you want. Drive over there, right? So eventually, guess who won? So I drove over there, kind of waiting for a bright light from the Lord or some kind of moment or a warm fuzzy or a quiver in my liver or something. I didn't know. And pulled in, parked. I don't know where I'm at or what's going on. I just get out nothing. You know, I don't know what to do. 
So I just start looking around and, and walking around, and, and I saw this lady, and I got this feeling like I should just go over and talk to her. Now, help me out here. I don't, she, she was a lady, she was outside, she was washing her car, and just, just to look at her, I don't know that she had the same last name as Rahab. I don't know if she didn't. Just leave it at that. I, I just know that as a young man in Bible college, I probably shouldn't have been walking up and saying, hey, how you doing? About to get kicked out of Bible college. But I felt like I should go say something to her. So I walked up and I said, ma'am, I'm a student over at Central Bible College and uh, we've talked about an opportunity maybe to come over here and do something for the kids that live in this apartment complex and I don't even know where to begin or start and I just wondered if you had anything you can tell me. She looked at me and she says, you know what's the funniest thing? For a long time I thought it sure would be good if somebody would come in here and do something for my kids. I says, is that right? And she said, yeah. You know what? That's a great idea. Let me go introduce you to the manager of the apartment complex and we'll, we'll see what we can do to help you get this thing going. And I was quick to say, God, I don't know how this is going to happen. And I was even quicker to say, God, I know it's not going to happen because of her. And yet God knows how to take unlikely people and unlikely things and do extraordinary things. Isn't that true? And so at some point, we've just got to say, God, yes, I trust you. Not by what's on the surface, not by what I think, but God, by, by knowing that I can trust you to lead me. And you would say, cool story. That's awesome. I believe that, just not in my life. And I know that to be true, but some of you need to be reminded because you've dismissed God's power to be at work and do extraordinary things through you. And I don't know if you're watching this online, maybe you're in Auditorium 2, maybe you're seeing it on television, maybe you're sitting here in this room. Here's what I know. Some of you need to hear and be reminded of this, that if God can use Rahab, he certainly has a plan for your life. True? If God can take someone that we would brand the way that we would brand someone like Rahab, And if he can use her, literally, to change the world, I think he has a plan for your life too. Because you're you're here listening. You're hearing this. God didn't even have to send spies to your house. He's speaking right to you today. And if God can use Rahab, he certainly has a plan for your life. First thing that we see in this story is this, that promised land people know that God uses unlikely people to do extraordinary things. Number two, second thing we see is that promised land people begin with belief in God. That's where life starts for us as people who don't hold on to the promises of God. We, we start with a belief in Him. What's so interesting about this story is Rahab wasn't motivated by fear. Rahab wasn't motivated by self-preservation. She was motivated by this fact. She realized that the God that the Israelites served was the real God, not those false gods, not those idols. She said, there's something more going on here. Your God is the God of heaven above and the earth below. And if he's real, then that's where my life needs to start. She began with a belief in God. And what we see here, and at some point it happened in your, your life, or God wants to do it in your life, that a proper understanding of who God is leads us to a desire for his salvation a proper understanding of who God is when we see him when we know him we recognize that he's the only one that can give us hope that he's the only one who can give us salvation because that's where faith even begins I mean if you think about it where what is what does faith even mean Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 defines it this way and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So Rahab saw that there was a real God, not a false God, not one of these idols. 
She'd spent her life being taught by her family and by others and all around in her culture. These are the things that we set up and worship. But it was proven to her that all those things are dead, that there's only one real God. And that's the God she needed to know. That's the God who could save her life. And instead of these counterfeit things that she was worshiping, she knew she had to start with the belief in God. Now, we may say that we believe in God, but do we really allow Him to have authority in our lives? Do we really allow Him to gauge the decisions that we make? Are we like Rahab willing to literally put our lives on the line because we trust in a God who says he's real and true? Or, and let me, let me meddle here for, for just a minute, or do you, do you have some kind of idol set up in your life that that's where a lot of your attention and your worship actually goes? Now, I don't, I don't necessarily mean like a, a figurine or, a, or, or an idol, some kind of image that you have in your home. Although some of that precious moment stuff is weird. You know what I'm talking about? That's not, that's not, but I don't, I don't mean that. What I mean is there may be something in your heart that if you got real honest, you worship it. That's where at some point, some maybe piece of your life, that takes priority and it has authority. Like what, what are we talking about? Well, for, some, for sometimes it might be money. That getting more, having more, becomes the thing that drives you more than who God is. Sometimes it's self. It's all about me. It's what I want. It's what's best for me. In our culture, one of the idols that is raised up consistently is sex and putting that as a pinnacle of existence that's out there. For many of us, the idol that we put up is worry. We worship worry. We put our attention on the things that we fear and that we're concerned about. And we take these idols and we put them in our heart. And the truth is this. If there is one true God, isn't he greater than those idols? He's greater than self. He's greater than money. He's greater than sex. He's greater than pride. He's greater than fear. And at some point, we have to switch our allegiance from those things. And you say, but some of those things have a grip and a hold in my life. The only way you're going to break that hold is to recognize the authority that the one true God has over those things. Isn't that true? So some of us need to confront these these false gods that have set up shop in our lives and instead look to the power of the one true God. That's a little tricky though because sometimes we embrace those other things. Sometimes we even dismiss the one true God and chase after things that, that that aren't really real. Sometimes we even do it in the name of religion. And Paul wrote to Timothy about this because he was concerned about this. Watch what he says, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. He says, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people and especially of those who believe. It's all about a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not about religion. It's all about knowing Him. It's all about giving Him authority in your life and saying, God, how, how do we say this? Sometimes we say, we, we give Him the steering wheel of our lives. God, I give you control. And for many of us, if we would truly let our belief affect how we live, it would change who has authority in our lives. And that's key for us to grasp if we're really going to live in the promises of God. So those promised land people are people who know that God uses unlikely people to do extraordinary things. Promised land people begin with belief in God. Let me give you a third one very quickly. Promised land people have faith that leads to action. Promised land people have faith that leads to action. Rahab took a courageous step. It was a bold move. Her act of treason 
was not just courageous. It was an expression of her faith. She did it because she believed in this one true God. And that puts us in such an interesting spot because at some point, if you truly have faith, it's going to lead you to action. It's going to cause you to do something. Now look, this may be important for, for some of you to hear. For those of you that walk the halls of our junior highs and our senior highs and our universities, this is key for you to hear. For some of you, when you interact with your family and they question some of your decisions... This is really important for you to hear. Some of us have co-workers who question, why would you make an ethical decision when it would be better for you to make the convenient one? And there's these things that are acts of faith. There's steps that we take, and other people don't understand it, and that makes it difficult for us to know right from wrong. And I would challenge you with this. Doing what is right in the eyes of God may mean doing what is wrong in the eyes of people. But there are times when we choose what God says is right, Rahab had to choose an act of treason. It wasn't just some kind of courageous political move. No, for her it was an act of faith. And here's the truth. Genuine faith leads to bold action. Genuine faith. If you truly have faith in God, it's going to affect the way you live. Genuine faith leads to bold action. That's why David was willing to face Goliath. That's why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were willing to go into the fiery furnace. That's why Peter was able to walk on water. And don't even get me started on the book of Acts. See, genuine faith is going to lead to bold action. So what does that mean for you? When was the last time you did something and you say, I was willing to do it because it was a step of faith because I wanted to honor God with my life? For many of us, I think it's lost. When was the last time your faith drove you to some kind of bold move? Like Rahab, when was the last time you were willing to counter the culture and say, I'm going to do this instead of that because I believe that's what God and His Word would have for me? When, like Rahab, were you willing to save a life, not hide people underneath your roof? (laughs) Not that. When was the last time you shared your faith? Knowing that as you introduced them to Jesus Christ, there was the potential that it could change their life. When was the last time that you were willing to place your hope in a God who you knew could deliver you? Because genuine faith is going to lead to bold action. Here's how James says it. James chapter 2, verse 24. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Now, our salvation comes by faith. Can you earn your salvation? The answer is, are you good enough for God to have to save you? The answer is, no. But... Once he's changed your life and you have a genuine faith in him, it will change the way you live. Or it should. So when, when, was, the, when was the last time? What did it look like for Rahab? Well, she had a conversation with the spies. And she said, look, I've saved you. Will you save me? And they work out a little deal. They say, look, we're going to come back with all of our weaponry and we're going to come back and we're, we're going to believe that God's going to give us victory and we've promised that we saved you but we've got to know which house is yours so we're going we're to jump out this window. She lowers them down out of her window and, and they said, when, when we do, um, we want you to take a scarlet cord and we want you to hang it out your window and that way when, when we come back, we'll know which house is yours and we'll spare your life. So here's, here's what happened. And I do think, biblically, friends, and prophetically, I can prove it, there is something to, to, to this being scarlet. And the ends, I think, were gray, actually, biblically. I think it was scarlet and gray. I'm not sure. Not sure. Not sure. But I think... Okay, so here's what happened. Joshua chapter 2, verse 21. They made this little deal. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord 
in the window. And she took that act of faith. And today, what I want to do in these next few moments, as we think about what we've just talked about, I want to pray about three very specific areas that may be relevant in your life. And the first one is in this area of faith. For some of you, maybe you, you believe in God, and you believe that He can do something in your life, but you've not fully surrendered your life to Him. We talk about that, that act of giving Him the steering wheel of your life, letting Him have control, surrendering yourself to Him. We sang that today. And there's something unique here. Now, the Bible, the Bible doesn't necessarily implicitly say this, but I'll tell you this. It's interesting that it was a scarlet cord that she hung out her window. It may have simply been because it would be easy to see, but when I see that color, it makes me think of what Jesus did for me on the cross. Isn't that true? The Bible says that He shed His blood for us. And when He died on the cross, that death paid the price it covered the penalty that was there for my sins so then i could be made right with god that that relationship could be restored that's what jesus did for us and for some of you you would say look i'm i'm literally at the end of my rope and i can't do this on my own anymore and i'm struggling and i'm not sure how i'm going to make it in life and i've tried this and i've tried that and i can't find hope and i can't find purpose and i can't find meaning and i've maybe never expressed that but i feel god speaking that to my heart and today god's speaking something to me and you say today i need things to be right with god today you can put your faith and confidence in a god who sent his only son to die for your sins And here's the truth. Here's what Scripture tells us. That if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead, it says you will be saved. And His grace is there and it's available. And there's some of you that say, I need to do that. It's a decision that I need to make. Some of you would say, you know, I did that at one point in my life, but I I just, you know, it was this and that, and I kind of just, and and God and I, we're... Today would be a day where you could say, God, I I need to start over. I not only need to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, I need to begin that relationship again. And if that's where you're at, that's, that's the first place I want to pray today. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes just all throughout the room, and whether you're, um, you're watching online, wherever you are. If you're here and you'd say, today, I need to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, or I need to begin that relationship again, would you pray with me? Would you just raise your hands? So all I'm going to ask you to do, if that's you, God speaking to your heart. Yeah, I see a bunch of hands. Anybody else? Lord, today, I need to begin, or I need to begin again a relationship with Jesus Christ. Put your hands down here. So I'm going to ask those of you that raised your hands, and those of you that are here in this room, and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, would you pray this prayer with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus, for sending your Son to die for my sins. This prayer... It's more than words. From my heart, I give you control. I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. I give myself to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Look, those words that we prayed, are, they're, they're, they're just words. It's, it's what happens in our hearts. And that prayer can be the most important thing that you've ever done. So I want to invite you, if you prayed that prayer, especially for the very first time, will you stop by our Connection Center? We have friends that would love to meet with you there. We have a Bible we want to give to you. We just want to encourage you in this decision to follow Jesus. Let me lead you then into um, a second area of prayer that I, that I think is really significant. Rahab did not say to the spies, boys, just get me out of here. She didn't say, hey, I'll, I'll help sneak you out. I know this city and this, this wall around Jericho better than anybody. 
Now, that wasn't her main concern. It wasn't for herself. Do you remember what she said? She says, look, if you come back, when you come back, don't just save me. Save my mother and my father. Save my brother and my sister. Save my whole family. Her burden wasn't just for her life. It was for her family to experience salvation and deliverance. And some of you, you didn't come in here today with concerns about your finances. You didn't come in here today with concerns about your health. You might not be worried about your relationships. But you came in here today with a burden for your family. There's parents here whose hearts are broken over their children. And there's children here who are wrestling with situations with their parents. Some of you have issues with siblings. It's an aunt, it's an uncle, it's a cousin. It's a relationship that just that isn't quite right. It's somebody who you know is in the grip of some, I don't know, addiction or whatever. And they just, they just need freedom to come to their life. Some of you, it's, it's your marriage. And you need to do something about it. And so here's what we're going to do. Just like Rahab sought for the deliverance of her family, we're going to pray for our families today. In just a moment, if, if you're here... And you say, God, I need you to do something in my family. I'm at the end of my rope. I need you to do something. I'm just going to ask you to stand. And you do that. It's, it's this act of faith that we talked about. And some of you husbands, wives, you need to grab the hand of your spouse. Some of you need to just do that. But if that's you, if it's your family, you say, I've got a burden for my family today. Would you stand where you are? And we're going to pray. Man, every service, people just, something big in our hearts. God, we come to you. Lord, the the beauty of prayer is that that we don't have to articulate this. You know. God, you know parents whose hearts are broken for their children. And you know children who are wondering how they're going to repair a relationship with the parent or how are they going to be able to care for that parent. Lord, you know our family members who have allowed substances or lifestyle or choices God, somehow to control their lives. Lord, you know relationships that are so fractured that even as we look ahead to, to, to holidays that are just a few months away, we, 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 just, we know that, that these, these relationships can't be fixed unless it's you, God. Lord, you know. And so today we bring our families to you. We bring our hope and our heartbreak. God, we bring those things that we don't have answers to. But just like Rahab, Lord, we trust in you to deliver. So God, even right now, would you begin to do something? Would you begin to work in in homes? Lord, would you restore relationship to husbands and wives? God, would would you allow grace to flow in situations? God, would you bring healing to those that physically just need a touch from you? God, you know what it is. And so in this moment, we entrust it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Those of you who are standing, if, you, if you'd stay standing, and if everybody else would, would stand and join us, I want to ask us, if everybody just stand, I want to ask us to pray just one, one last way. Here's what Rahab was ultimately doing. When she took that cord and she hung it out the window, literally at the end of her rope, she put faith. At the end of her rope, she put hope. And she was saying, I don't know what's ahead, but God, I trust you with my future. I trust you with what is in in, in store for me. I don't know what it is, but I look to you to be the one to guide my future. And I just just felt and sensed so strongly that as we pray today, there's some of you that the future is really unknown to you. You literally are at the end of your rope, but that's where you find hope and that's where you find faith. And for some of you, you, you're wrestling with, with a job decision. You're wrestling with where to go to school. You're thinking about a relocation. You don't know what's next in your life. For some of you, it's, it's a question with a relationship. 
relationship or you're praying for a spouse or I don't know what it might be, but you just say, when I look at the future, I see incredible opportunity and it kind of freaks me out. Or some of you say, I look at the future, I don't see anything. And that freaks you out. And today you would say, God, where I need you to step in, just like Rahab, at the end of my rope, I, I, I put this out here, God, my future is in your hands. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? God, my future is in your hands. Man, my future's in your hands. Let's do this. This would be even better. Why don't, we, why don't we take both hands and lift them to him? And Father, today we surrender ourselves to you. Lord, in this moment, you know our future. God, your word says you know the beginning from the end. And what we can't see, Lord, you see clearly. And so, Lord, we, we give our decisions to you. Lord, your word says that if, if we lack wisdom, we can ask and that you will literally generously pour it out on us. And so we ask for wisdom. Lord, we ask for direction and we ask for protection. God, we ask for your guidance. We've already prayed this for the church today, but we pray it over our lives and our homes and our families and our schools and our jobs, our finances. God, give us wisdom. Lord, help us to know the right relationships to be in. Lord, help us to know the right places to live. Lord, help us to know what the future has in store. God, when there's great opportunity, help us to be strong and courageous. Lord, some of us are going down a path in our future and, and it terrifies us because we're, we're pretty sure maybe we're on the wrong road. God, if we need to take a, a turn, a change of direction, or maybe even just completely turn around, if there's something that, that instead of starting needs to stop, Lord, help us to have wisdom to do that. Lord, in this moment, by your Spirit, speak clearly to us. And we surrender our futures to you. Lord, because we know that you can do extraordinary things through us, the most unlikely of people. And so we begin by believing in you. And ask God that as we surrender our lives to you, would you give us the genuine faith to do bold things for you. As we go from here, Lord, we... We ask that you'd go with us, and that you'd send us out with your special favor and your wonderful peace. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here today. Have a great week. We'll see you on Sunday.